0: Starting turn together now to Paul's letter to Ephesians and to chapter 1, and we can read at verse 15. Ephesians 1 at verse 15. Dears, Paul's thanksgiving and prayer. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of knowledge and of revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And so on down to the end of this chapter. Paul is writing to uh, this church that is itself struggling with the philosophies that uh, are around in this great city. We see that uh, Paul himself uh, spent some three years in the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. So he has, it is a church that he was familiar with uh, and he spent some time uh, exhorting the people there. And we see the way in, in that chapter, in Acts chapter 20, the way in which he left these final words uh, with the elders in the church in Ephesus. Of course, we know today that the church as it was then uh, no longer exists, and indeed, all that is left of the church of the day of Paul is the ruins that continue to be a major tourist attraction. We are continuing to look at the prayers of Paul and the way in which we want to learn lessons from these. And uh, this whole letter begins with the longest sentence, perhaps, in the New Testament from verse 3 down to verse 14 where Paul is uh, bringing before them an account of the blessings of the gospel. In other words, as we saw two weeks ago, he is highlighting the sovereignty of God and the free choice and uh, purpose of God as he saves a people for himself. And seeing the way in which he sets that kind of scene, so that when it comes to prayer, it is against the background of the way in which God has chosen that it was free will to save them, to do it through Christ and to do it for the purpose of bringing to them that inheritance and that glory that lies beyond. And we see Paul in this section, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith, he prays for them because he has received news about them. And the news about them is such that, what he has heard confirms that the sovereign grace of God at the beginning of the chapter is now evident in their lives. And as soon as he hears that, he launches into giving thanks to God for his grace in the life of this church. And that itself is is a wonderful thing to, to receive news of the grace and the love of God in Christ Jesus Working in people's lives, and when that happens, what do we do? We come to God with thanksgiving for this reason that you have worked in them, and that the grace that is the purpose of your heart is now evident in them. For this reason, He launches into this thanksgiving. But I don't want to see tonight the way in this prayer in which He wants to encourage them and to encourage them by helping them to understand how the grace of God works and the privileges that belong to them. And so in this prayer, we're looking at prayer for an understanding of the sovereign grace of God. One to see, first of all, that he is praying for their progress. He does this repeatedly in all of his letter writing. He wants them to develop And he's doing the same here. He's praying for their progress. And when he is doing so, he is centering his prayer on the basic need that we have of the work of the Holy Spirit of God. No matter what we're going to do in the Christian life, no matter what we're going to do in the Church of Christ, we are not going to do it unless God works first of all and unless the spirit of god is at work and when he launches into his first petition here we see that the god and god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation they are the children of god by virtue of the fact that the spirit of god has worked in their lives they are born again by the spirit of god they are the children of god And we see at the end of verses 13 and 14 that they have that that spirit as a guarantee in their own hearts of the inheritance that is theirs. But he wants that same spirit which has given them the, the status of being the children of God to work in a particular way in their experience in order for them to develop. And he prays for the spirit of wisdom and of revelation a combination of things that's going to enable them to progress as the children of God. They need that wisdom which comes from God alone. We have seen at other times that this wisdom is in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. It's wisdom for building the tent according to God's, God's pattern. We have seen it in First Kings 8, as Solomon building the temple according to the purposes of his heart and reigning over the people of God. The wisdom that comes from God is to design things and do things in accordance with God's design and so live out the kind of life and the kind of plan that God has purposed in his heart. A prayer for wisdom that they may do and be what God wants them to do to be and do, do so in the way that God has purposed in his word. And he prays for that spirit of wisdom and of revelation. He knows that that they're not going to be able to grow unless there is the ongoing revelation, the ongoing removing of the cover of the riches of the Word of God, so that as they journey on through life, they see more and more of the way in which God has revealed himself in his Word and the Spirit of God taking the, the very things that we have in the Word of God and laying it out on the table for them so that they understand the Word of God. And tonight, if, if you and I are going to progress in the life of the children of God and in the life of faith, we need to appreciate the importance of this prayer and to have this prayer for one another so that you can have the wisdom that comes from God so that tonight you can walk the life and live the life that God wants you to live so that not building a tent but building a life in accordance with God's design and and praying that you will have that ongoing revelation of the word of God that you may understand what you do not yet understand, and that in that growing sense of the appreciation of the revelation of God in his word, there may be a building up of the picture, a filling in of the blanks, an expanding of of the, the visibility of the work of Jesus in your life. It's a powerful prayer. It's a prayer that brings about change when it is answered. And it is a prayer that is progress in a particular way. There is only one way in which they're going to progress. They may have wisdom and they may have revelation and it may be a distraction. It may lead them to study other things and other philosophies that that attach themselves to the Word of God. The progress, the prayer for progress is for the particular knowledge of him. The prayer is for the growing intensity of their experience and the knowledge of God in the knowledge of God as he is revealed to us in the Person of the Lord Jesus. No one says, John in chapter 1, has ever seen God, the only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. It's a prayer for knowledge of the God who has given his Son to be our Savior. It is a prayer for the knowledge of the God who has said in his promised new relationship with his people in that day, no one needs to teach his neighbor because all will know me from the youngest to the oldest. It's that knowledge that comes from the Spirit of God and the revelation of the Spirit of God that comes to give us a growing sense of knowing God. And knowledge in this sense is a relationship. It's a prayer that they will have a living relationship with God. We get to know our families who we we get to know our, our partners, our husbands and our wives. We, we develop in our relationship with them. The knowledge that we have of them today is, is far greater than the knowledge that we had with them at the very beginning. It's a growing relationship. It becomes deeper. It becomes more intense. It becomes more experiential in, in new ways. And so Paul is praying that there will be that progression in their relationship with God that they will walk with him and be so familiar with him the best possible use of the word that they will be familiar with him as he was a friend to Abraham that he will be their friend and in that close relationship with him that they will grow like him and that's how we see knowledge of God in the Bible show me someone who is growing in knowledge of God and Jesus. And I will show you someone who is like Jesus. It changes the way people live. And that's why Paul is praying this prayer. You've got so many challenges in Ephesus, so many false religions, so many distractions, so many powers of darkness. But I need you to know what it is to walk with God and to walk in God's paths and to be so changed by the very fact that you are walking with him. And tonight as we reflect on that prayer and as we want to pray that prayer for each other, we want to think about our great need of that prayer, our knowledge of God and Jesus. How deep does it go? How much does it transform our lives? How much are we changed into the likeness of the God and the Christ that we follow? Moses knew God face to face, And he came down from the mountain in Exodus 40, and his face was shining. How much does your life and mine shine with the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ? This, says Jesus, is eternal life. To know you, the only true God, that is, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. A prayer for progress. A prayer for progress so that they will know how to walk as the children of God in Ephesus. May we pray that prayer for one another. And may we never be satisfied with where we are, but may we always pray for one another that our journey will continue and that we will develop in our knowledge of our God and of our Saviour. Secondly, we want to see that there is a prayer for perception. He wants them to understand the grace of God. And we all need to pray for one another for that very thing. No matter tonight how much we understand of God's grace, we need to understand more and we need to understand so much better. And for their progress, he prays for them in verse number 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. There is a sense in which their inner beings must be illuminated so that they may be able to understand what the Bible says so often in life we we hear things, we go places and we say well that was an eye opener it's as if something has flooded our minds that was not there before and because of that we see things so differently I understand that better now I didn't see that before, but now I'm able to appreciate what this is or what that person is saying or what uh, this situation means. There is a sense of having our eyes opened. And we saw that prayer in in Psalm number 13, where the psalmist was praying out to God to, to answer him and to light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. He needed that inner illumination to understand and to know what God was doing and what God was saying. And here Paul is praying that very kind of thing for them, that the eyes of their hearts will be enlightened, that there will be that sense of of shining. And, And through this letter itself, Paul says in chapter 5, at one time you were darkness. In chapter 4 he was saying, at verse 18, that you were darkened in your understanding. We are darkness and our understanding is darkened. And because of that, we need the illumination, the Spirit of God that comes to, to switch the light on. We saw in our first singing in Psalm 119, the psalmist praying, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your law. Do you feel at times that you're blind when it comes to the things of God? Do you feel like as if you're looking into space and not seeing what, what God is, is doing and seeing? There are bound to be times when, when that is the case. It's all a blank screen. We, we cannot see unless something happens. It's the nature of the life of faith that we go on and on step by step and we come to these situations. And where we are praying that prayer of, of the psalmist, open my eyes, I cannot see this. We come to study the Bible. We come to learn about what God has said. And we come to the situation where we find ourselves wondering what on earth does this mean? It seems so complicated. And unless the light does shine, that's, what it's, that's what's going to happen. But the same Paul who writes this letter wrote to the Corinthians in in, in chapter the first letter and in chapter 2, and he speaks of the way in which the Spirit of God that searches the deep things of God makes known to the children of God the very things that are hidden in the Word of God and in the Person of God and brings them before the child of God. And that is something like what Paul is praying for here. That they will be enlightened in that way. And perhaps at this very moment, that's how you may be feeling. That you need the light to go on. Otherwise, you won't understand the gospel. You won't understand what Paul is saying. That the prayer that we need to pray for you is that God would enlighten the eyes of your heart and perhaps a prayer that that you need to pray for someone else or for for others around you or others perhaps not here that God will bring an end to the darkness and cause the light to shine. And that's what Paul himself experienced when he was on the way to Damascus and the Lord met with him. The light shone from heaven he saw the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, he says in 2 Corinthians 4. It was the illumination of his inner being and all the truth that he knew before suddenly became alive with Christ. A truth before that was all about his own religion suddenly sees the passion of Christ and the work of Christ shining out from all of it. The light went on. And when Paul plays that prayer for them, he wants them to see at this stage two particular things. He wants them to understand their hope. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. It's about knowledge. It's about knowledge of the hope the hope of the people of God. The hope that he has spoken of at the beginning of the chapter. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. There is that hope in the gospel. There's the hope of eternal life. There's the hope of glory which is Christ in you, says Paul. That there is that horizon to uh, Christian life in the world that is about hope. Uh, And it is the hope to which he has called you. Or we should rather say, I think, the hope of his calling. It's the personal way in which he has put his hand on their lives with his word, and his calling has come to them with all of that power. And when the calling of God comes to oppression in this way, it's a calling that finds its origin in the, what God has planned in the eternity past, as we see from verse 3 of the first chapter. Why does God call you? Why suddenly do you sense the power of the word of God? It's not something that God has suddenly decided to do. It's based entirely on his eternal choice of you as a child of God. And when that power comes, it connects your whole experience with that very beginning where there was no beginning before the beginning of the world. And Paul has drawn attention to that, the way in which they were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. It is that sense of belonging to God and that sense of the power of God claiming our lives for God. The hope of His calling. And Paul describes it in Philippians 3 as the Upward call of God in Christ. When this powerful call comes, it draws us horizontally from where we are in our darkness to follow the Lord Jesus. It's not a path we would have chosen, but it's now a path that we must choose and there is no other path that we will choose but this path we are drawn by the power of the gospel to follow the Lord Jesus. But as well as that horizontal dynamic of the skull, there is the vertical. It's not that I'm going along this way and following the Lord Jesus. It's that I'm going this way and following the Lord Jesus. And it's that direction of going upwards that makes the skull of God, that it makes the... Glory, the hope of the glory of God. It's that sense of going upwards. And even when there are times when we might feel that we're going downwards and not upwards, this call is always leading us upwards. It's lifting us up. And he wants them to to understand that sense of the call of God. And when they do so, how much they will be encouraged and strengthened in living as the people of God in Ephesus. And for you and for me tonight, this is one transformational thing. It's one thing that will change us forever. And when we lose sight of the power of this call, we pray for each other that we would regain an appreciation of the sense of this pool and the sense of this power that connects us not just with the gospel, and that's important, but that connects us with the Christ of the gospel, and that connects us with the God who has planned and to has purposed, and that connects us with his choice of us as the children of God how much we need our perception to be clear on that hope and upon the call of God upon our lives and he wants also their perception to be changed and improved with regard to their value how much Do we value ourselves? In the proper way, of course. How much do we see our own worth? There are so many challenges in in life with regard to this very thing our self worth, our our self esteem, and how we and others struggle with that and how some struggle with it a lot more than others. Sense of value. How is he going to encourage them to to see their value? What is he going to pray for? To know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The riches of his glorious inheritance. A rich phrase that, that that is so full of the riches of, of what the gospel means. We, we think of, of riches and we we think of, of the possession of many goods. We think of, of something that, that's valuable. We think of, of being enriched. It's the sense of being filled up with the fullness of goods. To be rich. And so that he thats that is here is that there is riches and there is glory. And the glory that we have in this passage is nothing less than than the glory of God. So here are things that are packed into how they're going to understand their own value and their own worth. The riches and the glory of God. But especially they're going to see that because of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Or should we, I think, read it in this way. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What inheritance is Paul talking about? He has spoken in verse 13 and 14 about their inheritance. But this is something more marvelous it's his inheritance that is God's inheritance that God sees as valuable and as precious his own people and there is this whole idea down through the Old Testament that the people of God are the inheritance of God Micah chapter 7 for example Your people, the flock of your inheritance. The people are his possession. They are his inheritance. He has given his son for them. They are purchased by him. And they are his. And he looks down upon them. And he is enriched by all that they are. And if it is transformational to to understand the, the calling of God and the way in which it is attached to his power and to his purpose. How humbling and transformational this is. To think tonight that as the child of God, God feels enriched when he looks down upon you with the people of God. And there is a glory in that inheritance which is his. And the glory of the inheritance is his own glory. Because he is changing us into the likeness of His son. Transformed from glory to glory by the spirit of God. God sees value. God sees riches. And the psalmist can say in Psalm number 116, Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. But this tells us that precious also in the sight of God is his saints' full stop. And what our prayer for one another tonight, that in all of our struggles with who we are, and our struggles with what we'd want to be, and our regrets about what we are, to pray for one another that we would see how God sees us and looks down upon us as his inheritance, as his possession, and the way in which he sees value and riches and glory in us. And of course, we don't feel like that. But I'm tempted to say and will say, does it really matter at one level what you and I feel But we do know that when we understand that God sees us in this way, it will change everything that we feel about ourselves. And that's what makes this prayer so rich. It changes our view of where we are going. It changes our view of who we are. And it changes our, our view of the way in which God sees us that there is great value in you as the child of God. Do you believe that? Do you pray for that, for yourself and for others? Or do you think you are in the sight of God? And you might say that because of my sin I feel rubbish. But your sin is there. It's, your sin is forgiven. That you are to see yourself the way that God sees you. A prayer for progress. A prayer for perception. It's also life changing and experience transforming. And finally, in summary terms, the privilege. The privilege that, that is there. And what is the privilege? What are the benefits and from verse 19 onwards, Paul in his prayer is stacking up so many truths that, that the whole riches of the passion of the Lord Jesus are found in this prayer. Stacking up the privilege itself and then showing the way in which there are benefits there. And the privileges to know what is the immeasurable greatness of, of his power toward us who believe. The power of God that cannot be measured, that is full of the ability of God and the capability of God and the skill of God, the power that comes to us in all of its immeasurable greatness to bring about change in our lives toward us who believe that the whole of the power of God works toward us and for us and on our behalf as we read this prayer. And the more powerless we feel, the more we are encouraged to see the powerful way in which God is working for us. And that power is working for us in three benefits that we want to just state very briefly as we draw to a close. And the first way in which that power works for our benefit is in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Their whole experience depends on the fact that Christ is alive. And the powerful working of God is seen in its greatest display when Jesus is raised from the dead. And from there he is exalted to the right hand of God. He is raised to to life and to glory. And that very place in which he is found It is from there that they have their life and their origin. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, they have the life of the Spirit of God in their hearts. Benefit number one. Benefit number two. He is seated at his right hand in the heavenly places far above rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name That is named not only this age but also in the age to come benefit number two he has complete authority he is he has triumphed over every power that is possible to work against the people of God in Ephesus as he is seated at the right hand of God the authority that is given to him, as he says himself, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. He has thrived over all of their enemies. Benefit one, they owe their origin and their life to him. Benefit number two, they are protected from the enemy because he has thrived for them. Benefit number three is... That he, as the Son of God, put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The benefit that not only has God given Christ for the church, but that God has given Christ to the church. What greater privilege is there than to think that the God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That the God who gave his son for our salvation in that sense is the God who gives his son to us. Everything under his feet He is head over his church and the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is filled with Christ because God has given Christ to the church and there is the the summary of of, of the benefits, the privileges that Paul is praying for his people. And tonight, as we close, we pray this prayer for one another. We want us all to know that because Jesus is raised from the dead, we can be new people. We can be the children of God by the power of his life-giving spirit. Because he is at God's right hand, no matter what we fear in life, no matter what the enemy of our soul will say to us, He has triumphed over our greatest enemy. And no matter what we need, Christ gives us, gives it all to us because he himself fills our hearts, fills our lives. And and let's pray this prayer together. Let's think of these great privileges and let's think of how desirable they are, and how life-changing they are. And let's not stop praying until we feel this way ourselves as the children of God, until we sense that we are all sharing in these benefits that God has provided for us in the gospel. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious and eternal God, we cannot but say how great a God you are. We cannot but worship you because of the riches of the provision you have made for us, the benefits that we have in Christ in the gospel, the way in which we are directed to lay hold of the blessings of your people, and how valuable they are to you. And help us, O Lord, to love these truths, and to love the life of faith, and to sense your powerful claim and call upon our lives day by day, that we may go onwards and upwards as we journey on through life as the people of God. So hear our prayer and bless your word, for Jesus' sake. Amen.